0: All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Numbers, chapters 35 and 36, we'll finish the book up today, and we'll begin Deuteronomy next week. Next week, we'll probably do one through four of Deuteronomy, so if you want to read ahead, we're going to try to get through four chapters. Deuteronomy, is, uh, the word means uh, second law. In other words, he's just going to go over everything we've already studied again. The reason, he d- <laughs> the reason he does that is because he's got a whole new group of folks um, the first generation died off, second generation is now going into the promised land and they've heard from their parents, but they need to hear directly from God themselves as, as is always the case. Uh, my parents' faith doesn't work for me. I have to have my own faith in Jesus. Um, so that's where we'll be. So we're going to go probably four or five chapters each week. We're going to bust through that real quick and get into Joshua. So, but today, 35 and 36, if you want to get there, uh, sign up sheet for women's luncheon is out there. Please sign up if you're uh, planning to attend. Uh, Friends are obviously welcome. You can bring whoever you want just to get their names on there so we know how many people, so we know how much food and how many tables to set up. Um, And then also on March 28th, that's a Wednesday evening, some of you have been asking about how to serve here at Calvary Chapel. What do we do? Who do I talk to and all that? And what are the requirements? And we're going to go over that in lieu of Bible study on that Wednesday night, Kids Will stub Ministry, uh, the kids will still be taught and all, but we're going to have each one of the department heads come up and share a little bit about the ministries here, um, areas that you can serve and if you want to. Um, it's not a recruiting thing because we really don't want volunteers. Only if God's been placing it on your heart to do something and you don't know what, be a good time for you to come out and listen. Um, and maybe God will speak to you as to what to do. We like servants, not volunteers. Volunteers do it on their own time um, for their own benefit. And we want servants who do it for God, for his people. Two different things. And so... Um, That's one of those things they'll talk about that night. So that's going to be March 28th if you want to come out for that, 7 o'clock as usual, and you can hear about some of the ministries we have here and available for you to serve in. All right, chapter 35, we've got the city for the Levites. God has so far divided up the land amongst the different tribes of the children of Israel. There's 12 tribes, and 11 of them get pieces of land, but the 12th tribe, the Levites, well, they're the priests, and God doesn't want them having a, a, a location necessary, They have to have a place to live, but they don't want them to have a, a land, uh, a continent or a con- country, their own little borders, you know. He wants them spread out. And so this is the section of scripture where God gives cities to the Levites. And he's going to scatter these cities throughout the nation of Israel. There's a reason for that. And so that's what is discussed here. And then we're going to move into the cities of refuge. So the Levites, the priests, this is their inheritance. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, command the children of Israel uh, that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. He's not designating. He's giving the nation of Israel their land. And then from that, there to give to the priests. He's setting up a little system here, a little thing. He wants them to realize what they've received from God and then also then in turn, it all came from God. I'm going to give the Levites these cities and they're commanded how much to do um, in each situation. Along with those cities, some common land around the outside. And what we're going to see is like a bullseye effect. You've got the city in the middle and 1,000 cubits out all the way around, you're going to have the farmland. And then another 2,000 cubits out from there, you're going to have the cattle. That's their grazing land. So uh, you can kind of picture how that works. And he wants them to do that. And there's going to be forty-six of these, or 48 of these cities um, that they're to give out. And that's what he's discussing here. So command them to do that. Give them the land. Uh, they shall have cities to dwell in. And their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds. And for all the, their animals. The common land of the cities, which you shall give the Levites, shall extend from the wall of the city outward 1,000 cubits all around. A cubits, 18 inches, if you're wondering. So a little over 1,500 uh, feet out. And then so on from there, another, uh, another 3,000 feet out from that. Um, so a total of uh, 4,500 square feet, or 4,500 4, feet out. And that's the radius instead of the diameter. So he's just making sure we understand how much to give them. Um, and you shall measure outside the city, the east side 2,000 cubits, and the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side 2,000 cubits. So don't get the idea that it's a diameter, it's a radius. And on the, uh, the city shall be in the middle, and this shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now, among the cities, uh, which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge. And we'll talk about that more here in a bit. A bit. Uh, to which a manslayer may free, or flee, excuse me. and to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Okay. We do something similar nowadays. Um, It's something called a parsonage. Um, Sometimes a church will have a a house actually on the property that's for the pastor and his family to live in. Um, Another way to do it is an allotment. You can actually make an allotment of the parsonage part of the pastor's package or whatever, the salary and so on, is a parsonage allowment for them to buy the house they want. So that's our kind of take on it. Um, Even the government, our government recognizes that, the parsonage allowance, if it is financial, just money and not a actual physical location, it's non-taxable income. It just goes right it goes right to the pastor and they don't have to pay tax on it. So there's an honoring there that still happens in our country. I don't know how much longer that'll be, but for now there's still an honoring of that. And So we have a similar system. We don't give entire cities to people. Um, but for the nation here, it was important that they'd have this. Now, instead of having one location, he wants them scattered. We talked about that. Cities all over the place for a reason. He wants them to be effective in the land. Um, They're a motivation for purity. They're uh, an answer to a question that someone may have. They're available, and they're spread out. If you had one location in the middle of the country, that's a long way. And you'd find the fringes of your nation to start to deteriorate and maybe go the way of the pagans and so on. I mean, they do anyway, but this was designed to be scattered and spread out and sprinkled so that you could have some effect on the nation. There'd be a spiritual effect. Christians are the same way. Um, We come here you know, maybe Sundays and maybe Wednesdays, if you're one of those folks that come twice a week. And this is great for us. It's encouraging. We come together and worship together. We're called to do that. Um, And and that's great. But for the most part, throughout our walk with Jesus, we're scattered. We're out there living it. And that's on purpose so that we can have an effect on this world. It doesn't do any good to have all your light bulbs in your closet, you know. Let's just put them all here. And, and, and boy, that's a bright closet, no, you, you want the whole house lit. You want it spread out. Um, people make fun of me a lot of times because we put the can lights in, and everybody walks in, they're like, that's a lot of can lights. You know, and you go out there in the hallway, that's a lot of... The actual formula that they used online to figure out how many can lights are supposed to be, this is half as many as we are supposed to be in here. Half as many. Can you imagine? We'd all have sunburns, I'm pretty Sure if we put in all the ones they asked. But the idea was to spread out evenly based on the height and the distance and what your floor spot's gonna look like so you have some overlap and don't have dark shadows and everything. This is what you do, this is how you do it. So it's even, even distribution of light. Um, I know, I've, I've worked in the, in the world, do work in the world, and, and, and you, it's a battle for Christians a lot of times. And we get so excited when someone else is a believer that gets hired, you know, oh yay! Someone else, and now we can just go to the break room together by ourselves and just have fellowship and Bible studies and all those wicked people, you know, that's maybe what we're thinking, Um, because it's hard. Often not, more often than not, you're about ready to get moved out, and God's just bringing someone in to replace you. He likes us spread out. He wants us to be salt and light in this world. He wants us to be effective um, in this world, Um, and so he spreads it out. We are the light. Christ is in us, and he is the light of the world, and he shines through us, and we dispel darkness. You do have an effect, whether you think so or not. Just being a Christian, you dispel the light or the darkness. Um, and as salt, we, we keep back the bacteria. It's what we're called to do. Um, and so God scatters us, and he wants them the same way. The Levites, I want you scattered. I want you spread out so that you can be effective um, an answer. Um, you know, you, you understand what that's like at work when someone who's an unbeliever that you've been working on comes up and says, you know, I got this question about God. And they look around, you know, kind of thing. And you're there for a reason. God's got you there. We're missionaries. That is our walk with Jesus. This isn't. This morning, this isn't. This is part of it. This is building up. This is encouraging. And this is uh, for us. But it doesn't do the world a bit of good if we don't go out and do it then when we're living with them and among them and all. Um, sharing with them the love of Christ and, and that he died on the cross for their sins. We're, we're called to that, um, to be that light. And so this is the same idea. Spread out. I want you to spread out. So he gives them these 48 cities. Now, uh, three of which are going to be on, uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute. There's six refuge cities we're going to get into now. Out of this 48, six of them are refuge cities. And what that means is, um, if you killed somebody on purpose or by accident, let's suppose you're, 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 you're out chopping wood together and your axe head flies off and knocks Bubba out next to you and he dies. And no one saw it. Well, you better run now because they had something called the Avenger of Blood. And that's the closest relative to the dead guy sitting next to you. He would run after you and take you out is the idea. That's their custom. That's what they would do. Um, And so you run to this city to get a fair trial before Bubba gets you or whoever his brother was uh, and get there so you can get a fair trial. So God's going to set these up. There's going to be on Remember, there were two, tri- two and a half tribes. They were on the other side of the Jordan, and the other, half, the other uh, nine and a half were on the right side of the Jordan. And they're all going to settle there, but I need three cities on this side and three cities on this side, evenly spaced out so it's about a half day's run. So stay in shape, you know, um, <laughs> or keep your axe head on tight, one of the two. Um, I need a donut hanging in front of me to get to my city. Um, Give me <laughs> Anyway. Um, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. And so God's going to set that up for these guys, a, a safe place. And this is the beginning of our rule of law in America. We're going to see God uh, and how He is. How we've designed our rule of law based on this. We're going to have first and second degree murder in here. We're going to have first and second degree manslaughter in here. All of it's going to be laid out, different consequences for each. And uh, We won't go into great detail, but you'll see it here as we go through. So these cities of refuge. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities uh, uh, to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. Now, in Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, they're going to actually name the cities. We'll be there in in three months, probably, is when we'll be in Joshua 20. Um, And so we'll, we'll see those names of the cities. That's when their actual name, they pick them out and they do. They lay them out just perfectly. It's about a half day's run. North, central, and south cities, and, and uh, it works out great. Um, they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, uh, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on uh, this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, uh, which will be the cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them. And anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Now, in Deuteronomy 19.6, um, which we'll get to in three weeks, about, don't pull me to that, um, God commands them to maintain the roads to these cities. He throws that in there. Because it's just like us to figure out how to make a ditch so this guy gets caught up on the way there, you know? I'm running to the city, you ain't going far, boy, you know, because... <laughs> I dug a ditch, and you're gonna fall in it. So he said, "No, you got to maintain the roads. Make sure the roads, you know, are all the way to the city. And you got to keep those clear, so they have a, a biting chance." I just—I'm picturing this in my mind, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and some guy lumbering after him. This is—it's messy. It's weird. I know we're all listening, going, "I have no idea how I'm gonna use this on Monday." You know, how does this apply to my Christian faith? I know it's messy and weird, but I think we'll—I'll explain a little bit at the end of both chapters. So you understand, it's, it is messy, um, and they're doing the best they can, and God's doing the best he can with what he has to work with. And so here's what we've got. You've got a guy that brings death to somebody accidentally. We want him to have a fair trial. And so before someone's temper gets too hot and, you know, get to that city, you'll be safe there. You can stay there, have a fair trial. You may get brought out of the city and killed if you're found guilty. But if not, you can stay there. So God wants to give them some hope, a place, a refuge, Verse 16, but if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand, or a wood hand, wooden hand weapon, such a weird way to word that, um, by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Okay, you get, it? You get the idea. God's into capital punishment here. This is God's command, not Moses. Anybody struggling with the death penalty and, and don't understand it or I'm not sure about it or you're maybe on the other side of the fence completely, God has commanded that that be the case. It's, it, it needs to be done. Um, back then it was done by the person who's the avenger of blood. You didn't have a committee or a system or anything. It was just your brother or your dad or whoever was, or sister, if she was nuts, you know, she would just do this. It was required blood for blood. And there's a reason for that. I, and, and there's a deterrent as a part of this. Later on, he's going to describe this as, I don't, want you, I don't want you to pay your way out of this. You can't, no financial restitution can get you out of this. You've got to have this blood for blood. It, my, my land is defiled, and the only way it gets undefiled is by the avenging with the blood. So he's serious about this. And so, when you have the conversation with people, as I often do, about the death penalty, and isn't it magnanimous of us that we're moving away from that into life imprisonment or, uh, or, or whatever um, the, 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 the new rule is, um, it does make a person feel better who wants to be the avenger of blood? Who, who wants to go do that? Who wants to be the one, oh great, hand me the rock. I mean, that's hard. Uh, it's, it's easier to send them away and have some anonymous person flip a switch someplace or inject or whatever, or whatever they do. Um, in the military, I still think it's hanging. Um, it's tough. And so they found a way out of it and they're finding a way out of the responsibility of it. Um, and what we think or what the th- thought process is is we, we become magnanimous, we become above it, we become better than, and that's the argument used. Um, but you you have those you miss out of the intended consequences of God's law, and you bring on yourself the unintended consequences of it uh, until you reap those. And we're seeing the beginning of that. Um, the there's complete and utter disrespect and for life. In our country, and it, it's moving away from that. And, and, and that isn't even the argument. Some, some people argue, well, it costs too much money to put them in life. It, it's not an economic issue. And that is the standard go-to. Well, I don't want to pay all that money to keep them in prison for life. And that, that's not the argument. Here's the argument for Christians anyway. God said it. And to be a man and think that you've come up with a better law than God has, it's arrogant. It's disrespectful. It's disobedient. To it. It's exactly what Christ had to die. It's it's sin, in a whole new level, and so you got to think those through. When we come up with laws that we think are better than God's, it'd be one thing if Moses said, "Gosh, I don't know what to do. Maybe we should just kill people." That's Moses, and he's just a guy like me and you. This isn't. This is God speaking to Moses. This is what needs to happen. Um, and so no matter where you stood on that issue, hopefully it's clear now where you should stand on this issue. Um, It's a hard thing. It is an ugly thing. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be comfortable with it. Um, This is bad all the way around. And again, we'll go into more detail at the end of both chapters here and explain that. So they need to be put to death. Now that's murder. Now we're going to move into manslaughter. That's different. That's accidental. Still consequences. Someone's still dead. And it's still your fault. But there was no malice intended. And so we move into manslaughter. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait, he didn't plan it, it wasn't premeditated, or uses a stone by which a man could die throwing it at him without seeing him, you know, tossed a brick over a wall or something, so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. They represent themselves in these situations. You know, there's no... A council. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was atoned with uh, uh, anointed. Excuse me, anointed with the holy oil. Still consequences. Whoever the manslayer is, their life is never going to be the same. They've left their home, they've left their family, and they now need to live in this city. It's a big prison, is basically what it is. This is life in prison. This is life in a, I mean, there's obviously some movement, some freedom there. You've got uh, 6,000, you know, uh, cubit or diameter or whatever. But um, that's that's where you spend it. it. Unless the high priest dies, then you have hope and you can go back to your city. If he doesn't, you stay there until you die. It's a long time. Um. And he does this on purpose, it's to protect you. This is the only place you stay here within these limits. That man's the, the, the avenger of blood could be circling that city. So mad, so upset, so bitter, just waiting for you to step outside. If you step outside, you're done. Just step across that line kind of thing. Um, and so this person needs to stay there. And so there are consequences. God is full of that, personal Personal responsibility is a big thing with the Lord. You are responsible for your sin. Nobody made you sin. No matter how bad your childhood was, no matter how bad people were to you, you can't blame them for your disobedience to God. Your disobedience to God is your disobedience to God. You do not have to. You have a complete free will and choice in the matter as to whether you're going to be like those people that affected you or you're going to be above those people that affected you. You're going to change things. You're the stopping point. This is how you break the cycle of domestic violence. This is how you break the cycle of child abuse. This is how you break the cycle of drug abuse or alcohol abuse in your family. I'm not going there. Well, I'm an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic. Nope. You're an alcoholic because you chose to be one. It's a disease. No, it's not. It's absolutely not a disease. It's absolutely a free choice to pick up the alcohol and drink. Nobody with the disease drives and go picks up cancer at the store, pays for it, walks out the door, cracks it open, and drinks it down to the point where they black out. Nobody does that. It's not a disease. It's a choice. And the reason I know that is because God's Word tells us that. He tells them that to the first Corinthians. He gives us a long list of sins that they were, but you've been set free. If you do it from here on out, it's a choice. But you have been set free. You're not in bondage to those things anymore. And he gives us that list. Same here. You have consequences. Manslayer or not, their lives are never the same. That family's lost a loved one. Your life's never going to be the same either. It's equal. It's equal. You're going to live the same life as the relatives that survived uh, the death of the loved one. So, he sets it up. That's what I want. Um, We are in, let's do, 25 or 26? 26. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled... And the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge. And the avenger of blood kills the manslayer. He shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And we just talked about that. Two times in the Bible, the, the Lord uses this reference of a refuge city to encourage us in our walk with him. It says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge, an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's the one we run to. He's where we stay. He's where we live, um, and we stay there. And that is very symbolic of the, of the city. We're all guilty. Uh, we all have uh, sinned, and Jesus is our help. He's the place that keeps us from the avenger blood, the, the, the death that waits for us. And we live there, and we stay there until the high priest dies, and then we go home. But for then, we stay there, and that's where we live. And now in our Christian walk, that's where we stay. We live there in Christ. We've run to our place of refuge, um, being guilty, and we hide there. Second place is Hebrews 6.18. I'll let you read that on on your own. But Hebrews 6.18 directly refers to this refuge city. Again, God is our refuge. All right, verse 29. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings, Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. So you have to have two eyewitnesses. Not two ideas, but two eyewitnesses. And not one person, but two. If you don't have two, like it or not, they're off. And this prevents anybody from dying who was innocent by mistake. Two eyewitnesses. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of the murderer who is guilty of death. Can't buy your way out of it. But he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to, this, to a city of refuge, that he may return uh, to dwelling in the land before the death of the priest. So there's no murder or manslaughter. There is no paying your way out of it. You have to fulfill your sentence. I remember uh, the O.J. Simpson trial. It's a great example of this very situation where they lost the criminal court case, but they won the civil court case and a monetary amount was um, given to him. He got busted later on for something else. He was absolutely guilty of the crime but because there was uh, evidence that was inadmissible. Um, they couldn't convict. And so he got off. Um, I know this because I watched it. I was in the Marine Court at the time. We watched the slow We watched the slow chase in the white Bronco with his friend driving it. And his friend was on the cell phone talking to the police and it was broadcast. They were actually could hear the cell phone conversation between the cop and this driver trying to figure out a solution as to how to end this peacefully without OJ getting shot, who was in the back seat. And in the back, you could hear OJ saying, what have I done? What have I done? But because it was broadcast, it was inadmissible. Absolutely guilty, but got off. Um, And he's walking free right now. As a matter of fact, um, justice comes though. We don't have to rest on this system for justice. Justice always comes. Anyway, this is the deal. You can't buy your way out of it. And here, Of course, you kill somebody and you're a rich guy and you run to your city of refuge, you get your trial. Hey, let me buy my way out of this. Just pay the simple fee and get out and go. No, no, no. God says, no, it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with where you are. Everybody is treated equally when it comes to this. Rich or poor, same law and rule applies, okay? That's how it's supposed to be anyway. And so he makes sure they understand that. It's not even an option to pay your way out of this. So you shall not pollute the land, he says, where you are, for blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. That's how it is. That's how it happens. Therefore, do not defile the land in which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell. For I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. Um, There's an interesting correlation that God brings out in 1 Timothy 5.19. 1 Timothy 5.19 speaks of an accusation against an elder. And God makes this direct relationship, not, not myself. But it says you're not to receive a reviling accusation against an elder unless you have two witnesses. It's the only The only thing that relates to that, that's equal to that, is you're either a murderer or you're murdering someone's reputation. If you're going to do that, if you're sure of it, you need to have two witnesses for either one. That's the only time you see that. So God makes a direct relationship. When you speak of someone and bring a reviling accusation against them, you better have two eyewitnesses to the sin, not just two ideas that you think they're guilty. So gossips don't count. (laughs) Two gossips don't make it right. Well, two people think that he did it wrong. Well, it doesn't make any difference. Did you see it? Did you see the sin? Um, otherwise, you don't even receive the accusation. You move on. And that's the same thing with murderers. And it's interesting that um, you know, there's two ways to stop that from going on with people. One, don't be the gossip. Don't be the person that's murdering someone else's reputation without witnessing, without witnesses. Second of all, don't be the ear that listens to it. The mouth doesn't do any good unless there's an ear to hear it. So both are responsible for that. And you shut it down. You lose a friend over the process, but it's a good thing to start with. Are we talking about that person while they're not here and gossiping about them? Are you gossiping? You know, well, was, it's was just a prayer request, um, you know, or however we want to disguise it at church. Stop it. We can't have that. Um, uh, God's very serious about this stuff. He blends those two together for a reason. Um, murdering someone's reputation, you got to have two eyewitnesses to the sin, okay? Um, be careful. So, chapter 36. We move on to um, our equal rights movement, the, the women's march that they had here back a few chapters, which is good. Uh, God listened to it and said, Yeah, absolutely. There were some ladies, uh, women, that um, there's a land issue. My, my dad's got five daughters, but no sons, and your law says it has to go to sons, so what, is that, what do we do? He says, oh, you're absolutely right. The land absolutely goes to you, you women. Um, it doesn't just go to the men. So absolutely, you get the land. Well, someone who heard that law said, no, wait a minute. I got a situation here. And we're going to cover that here, what, what they're going to do with this next problem. There's never a slick solution. There's never a simple answer to these things. And you can see them building here. Now, the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, Uh, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of the brother of Zelophehad to his daughters. Now, If they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers. And it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from a lot of our inheritance. And when the Jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry so their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers in other words your solution is going to mess up this other law that contradict god said you can't and you've done this and if they marry outside then that means land. so you've got judah this big giant tribe and their boys are looking for single females over here that don't have any brothers that own land and they start marrying the sons or the daughters of these other tribes and now they get pieces of the land with them And so the Judah tribe is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and these other tribes are going to shrink. He says, wait a minute, that can't happen. It all needs to stay the same. God wants it to be the same. So they've got a problem. What do we do about these women that have the property rights, which is fine, but if they marry and they take those property rights with them, we lose. You get the idea. Okay. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, what the tribe of the sons of Joseph speak is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, Say, saying, let them marry whom they think best. They can absolutely choose whoever they want, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribes. Can anybody see a problem with that coming up? It's like chapter 37 of Numbers. It's a Romeo and Juliet thing. I mean, that's the first thing I think of, but what if I really love this guy and he's from a different tribe, you know, kind of thing. You can see him. Doing this, it's just true love. I can't, I can't have this. They can marry outside the tribe. They just can't take the land with them. In other words, this guy better be awesome because you're giving up your inheritance to go marry with this. You know, and so gals, one guy's as good as the next. You may as well marry within the family and keep your stuff. We've all got the same problems. You think you're getting a different guy? You're not. We're all the same. We're identical. We have a meeting. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his father. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his father. And so for the most part, we want you to stay within there, but they could relinquish the land if they wanted to go to another tribe. Um, these five gals don't, though. I think it's funny. They said, okay, fine. We'll marry within the tribe. Thus no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Um, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. And here's their names. Uh, Mahela, Hogla, or Hogla, uh, Milcah, and Noah. The daughters of Zelophehad were married to the sons of their father's brothers Uh, uh, They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. And so they stayed. They stuck with it, and it worked out. Now, um, before we close here, I I wanted to elaborate a little bit on that um, as to it's messy, you know. Um, The laws are messy. We can see where Numbers 37 could have probably been written, you know, So what do we do here? What do we do there? And we see that happening. And we see that with our justice system. We see how things have gotten a little off kilter, a little off track. And because of precedence, you've got the law. It started off with just a really great law. And it was. But then you had this situation. And you got to judge these things on a case-by-case basis, literally a case. And they looked at that and they said, well, in this situation, I can see where this applies. And now you've got something called precedence. And so now everybody else that ever has a problem says, yeah, but look at that precedence that was set on that law and you got another law written and you got all these and it all of a sudden gets super complicated, doesn't it? To the point where you do need a lawyer to understand it and they have their own language that they write in and speak in and you just sit there going, I don't know, it's like 300 bucks an hour, whatever he says, just do it, you know? It's frustrating for us. Guys, we're supposed to be frustrated with the legal system. We're supposed to be frustrated with the political system. You're supposed to be frustrated with your health. We're all supposed to be frustrated with this stuff because this place is not the way God intended it. And it's the way it is because we brought sin into the world and we're living in it and we're doing the best we can with what we've got. And so we make the laws because everybody wants to be fair. That law is great. But in this situation, it's not fair. Like Everybody can see that. We need to change it and do something. But over here, I can see, and people are trying with a messed up, It's just not right. It doesn't work. When Christ returns, he wipes away every tear. There's no more death. There's no more sickness. When Christ returns, we have a perfect government. He rules and reigns with perfection all the time. When Christ returns, there's no more sin. There's no more legal system at all. Everything that we're frustrated with down here and we're trying to perfect down here or revolutionize or bring back to, guys, we need to look up. We look up. We look forward to heaven. We look forward to Christ. We look forward to everything he's promised us. And we look around saying, I can't wait to get out of this place. I can't wait till this elbow stops hurting or this knee stops throbbing or every time it rains, my head or whatever it is. I can't wait till I don't have to watch any more news of more people getting killed or more people getting off. I can't wait till this justice system. Is anybody excited for Jesus now? It's all designed that way. You can't be happy living here because we're not made for it and this is not the way it's intended to be. It's what it's become and we do the best we can and you vote the best you can and you obey the laws the best you can and you put up with it the best you can but always keep your eyes up. Remember, we live for Christ. We live for Jesus. We live for heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and that place is, It's good. We got a good king, we got good laws, we got no sin, and we just can't wait to get back there, you know? So come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We've watched the children of Israel here spinning their wheels for 40 years. Here in all of God's Bible studies, here in all of his words, but we're spinning our wheels and nobody was moving forward until now. The difference being obedience. We can have Bible study after Bible study, Wednesday after Wednesday, Sunday after Sunday. We can collect all this stuff, but you feel like you're spinning your wheels, you want to get some traction, obey. Do what his word says. Do what it says. And all of a sudden, you'll be flying. You'll be moving. These folks are finally going to cross the Jordan. I remember with my kids, and this is the last little story. Let me finish up here. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hands... The hand of Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from the Jordan, Jer- Jericho. They're ready to go in. They're on the border of, of Jericho there, right at the Jordan River. And they're walking back and forth thinking, should I cross? And we talked about that. Some Christians are just content to be on this side of the Jordan, not so sure we want to go over there. Like my kid at the pool. Come on, you can jump in. I've seen you do it. I know you can do it. And they're walking back and forth on the pool saying, I know it's easy, but I don't know. So many Christians spend their whole life just walking back and forth, never knowing how awesome it is to actually jump in and live for God and to walk in the Spirit, to be Christian everywhere, not just Sundays and Wednesdays, not just be a card-carrying Christian, but someone who's born again and affecting this world. I remember when Bo, I finally talked him into jumping off the diving board. He's so little on the end of that board. As a little kid, I'm looking, I'm going, you can do it, buddy. I'm not sure he can. You can do it, buddy. I'm ready to dive in. I got I'm ready to go. And he's looking at the edge and he just wasn't sure, but he looked at me. I said, Bud, you can step off if you want to, but I know absolutely you can do it. I've seen you do it. And he just jumped in. He trusted his dad. You know? He trusted him. And he made it. (laughs) All the way to the side. I'm like, Yeah. He didn't even oh, there he goes, onto the board again. Oh, he's having a ball. Now he doesn't go anywhere else. Going to the board, Dad. All right, go for it. Guys as Christians, trust your dad. He knows what he's talking about. You can do it. Do it. Jump. Go. Swim. You'll never look back. Walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement in this book of Numbers. Normally, it's a drawn-out book, but Lord, there's so much in there from you for us. We've heard it. We've received the Bible studies. They're in our brains, and they're in our hearts somewhat, but God, we want to be obedient to what we've learned now. We want to live it. We don't want to collect data or knowledge. We want, to, we want to have practical application of all this stuff. So this week, Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities to be light, to not be afraid and hide in the closet and just turn ourselves on when no one's looking, but to be light in the big rooms, to be light where you put us, wherever you put us, help us to be light for you, to dispel that darkness. Lord, we thank you for your word and your love for us and what you've done through us, for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And now we just want to live. And Lord, we can't wait. Like Paul, we'll wait here and be here. As long as you want us to occupy, we'll do our job. We'll do what we're called to do in obedience and out of thankfulness for what you've done for us. But Lord, anytime you're ready, we're ready to go home. We thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.